Well, good evening. I'm once again in my tiny office at home speaking into a microphone, trying to teach a story from the Gospel of Mark when I would much rather be in the Devo room with all of you um, there, having uh, all of us worship together and then get a chance to look at um, the Gospel of Mark together. But instead, we are, are coping, we are adjusting to all that's happening, and I hope that you are doing well. I know that it's a stressful time. Um, some of you have loved ones who have gotten sick or are sick with coronavirus. Um, some of you are scared of, of loved ones being sick. Um, you have a, a lot of schoolwork to stay on top of. Of course, our whole world is being ravaged by coronavirus, um, by this pandemic. People are losing jobs. There's financial uncertainty. People are losing loved ones. And so it's an unusual time. And I know that on top of all of that, you are having to do your schoolwork in an unusual way, which is distant, um, attending lectures on Zoom, um, doing tests, uh, being proctored uh, in your test in ways uh, and turning in projects and papers and having to just work in a way that you're not accustomed to. But I hope that you are staying on top of your work. I hope that in the midst of that, you continue to find time for rest, for relaxation, um, and also to uh, time to focus on your relationship with Jesus. It is fitting that we are coming to the end of the Gospel of Mark, um, uh, that we are on the in these stories uh, that happened the last week of Jesus' life. And it, it's fitting um, because we are at the time of the year um, where millions, billions of Christians really remember those events. We're in, in the Holy Week, um, where um, 2,000 years ago, Jesus entered Jerusalem, taught in the temple courts, was arrested, uh, was put on trial. And so we are, we are spending time studying these events in the Gospel of Mark at a time when our whole world is turning its attention to the story, stories of the last days of Jesus. And if you remember, um, if you had a chance to listen to it last week, we covered the trial of Jesus. It's kind of really a pseudo trial because he was before the most powerful man in Jerusalem, men that were respected by a lot of people, uh, men that, that, that uh, made rulings and held trials. And even though they didn't have the, um, the power to put people to death because the Roman authorities restricted that, um, they still had a tremendous amount of power. And so as we talked about last week, Jesus was there. They were trying to find some charge, some crime that they could say he committed so they could turn him over to the Romans and they could have the Romans kill him. And if you remember, Jesus, the Messiah, the one who came to bring the kingdom of God and the power of God and the spirit of God to earth, he was there, he was silent, stood before them while they uh, brought in false witnesses who made false claims against Jesus. And Jesus stood there silent until he declared that he was the Messiah, that, they would, that the people there would see him coming on a cloud, sitting at the right hand of the Father. And, um, and of course, that's when they, they, they thought it was, um, they reacted as if he had blasphemed the name of God. Um, uh, they tore their robes and then they started, started mocking him and spitting on him and beating him. And so Jesus suffered all of that humiliation um, while he was on trial there or on that pseudo trial before uh, those Jewish leaders. And in the courtyard was Peter. And think about the pressure that Peter is under at this moment. He's there while Jesus has been, has been arrested, while the most powerful Jewish men in the area were trying to find a reason to have him killed. And, and Peter's there um, because he said he wouldn't leave Jesus. Remember, Jesus had prophesied that Peter would betray him. 
And Peter said there was no way that he was not going to leave Jesus. And so he followed Jesus after all the other disciples had fled. Peter followed Jesus to the very house of the high priest, where these men were interrogating Jesus and bringing in false witnesses. And Peter stood there in the courtyard of the house, warming himself around the fire with all the servants and the guards that were there at the house of the, of the high priest. So think about the pressure that Peter's under, knowing that his leader, knowing that the one who he believed was the Messiah, was, could very well be killed in a few hours. And Peter's standing there saying he wasn't going to betray him. Under, and he's under tremendous pressure. And he's about to be under even more pressure. And I want to start our reflections by just ask, asking you, who do you become under pressure? Because we all change when we're under pressure. I can remember when my kids were, were little, and in some sense they still do this, but it's, what sticks out in my memory most is when they were two or three, and um, they would uh, they would be getting in trouble for something, and they would just, and, they, and it's like they realized that if they just started lying and, and denying that they did what they actually did, then they wouldn't get in trouble. So they would say that they didn't say the word that um, their brother or sister said, that they said, or that they didn't hit their brother or sister, or they didn't break that thing, or they didn't leave that room messy. Because they're realizing that, because um, under the pressure of that they're about to get in trouble, um, they, they, they begin to change and they lie. But then the interesting, the funny thing as a parent is that then if you just raise the stakes and said, well, if I find out that you're lying to me, you're going to be in big trouble. Well, then that pressure would cause them to change again, and they would just confess, well, yeah, I did say that word, but they called me a meanie first, or I did hit them, but they hit me first, or I did leave that room messy, but uh, I just forgot to clean it, I really meant to clean it, or yes, I did break that thing, but it was an accident. And so as, as the pressure kind of builds on them, they change, and you've been in that situation. Maybe it's a test that normally you would be an upright uh, student, you would never even think of cheating, but... With this one test, if you fail it, you fail the class. And if you fail the class, you won't get into the graduate program or professional program that you have been dreaming of for years. And so when the pressure is on, you cheat. Or maybe it's that you are a person who, who you believe um, that, that, um, uh, that you should be generous. But when the financial stress comes... When you begin to worry about your own financial situation, then you stop being generous. Or maybe it's that you've always been somebody that's been committed to purity in your relationships, but but when the pressure is on and you're with alone with somebody that you are attracted to and that you like, that that is when your commitment to purity erodes. Or maybe... You believe you should be a selfless person, as I hope that you, you believe that, but, but that maybe it's when kind of your, your dreams, your selfish ambitions are on the line, that your selflessness goes out the window. And maybe one day, when you're in a career, if you just kind of lie or bend the truth about another person, you will get a promotion. But if you don't, they're going to get the promotion. So that is when you allow your commitment to selflessness, to be outweighed by your selfish ambition. So when you're under pressure, and you've all, we've all been in this situation, when you're under pressure, you change. Your commitment to values weaken. 
your idea of, of, of what uh, kind of life you should live begins to change. Or even if it doesn't, then you're very comfortable going against those values. And of course, I'm not condoning changing under pressure, but we all do. And sometimes, and maybe a lot of times, we can only really know our true selves when we come under pressure. Maybe, maybe it's the case that you only know how generous you are once you're under financial pressure and you see if you're still generous. Maybe you only see how committed to purity you are once you're in a relationship where you're spending a lot of time with someone that you like, that you're attracted to, and who is attracted to you. Maybe you only know how committed you are to being an honest, ethical student when you take that bad grade that ruins your GPA, that ruins your chance at graduate school. You see, being under pressure often reveals our true character to us. And we see this in the story. And what's interesting is we're going to see in this very short passage today, Peter comes under pressure. And remember, this is the Peter who had said that he would not betray Jesus. The Peter who had said that he would go wherever Jesus went. The Peter who a few chapters earlier said he had nowhere else to go except following Jesus. And yet, this Peter, his disciple, the one who speak, is the first to speak up on so many occasions and who has been a part of Jesus' inner circle, gotten to go, been able to go onto the Mount of Transfiguration and see Jesus transfigured before his very eyes and see the cloud of glory come down. This Peter, who has seen so much, is going to come under pressure and end up denying Jesus. But one thing I want to set up before we get to that story is, is just the recognition that Peter isn't the only person in the story who is under pressure. Because last week, and really in the preceding weeks of the arrest, um, the time in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, we've seen Jesus under pressure. And under pressure, under the threat of death, while he's being hum humiliated, Jesus stays true to himself. He is strong even when he appears weak. He is strong when they're beating him, when they, when they are humiliating him, when they are bringing in false witnesses. And Jesus is firm in his commitment to who he is and to what God sent him to be. But Peter, the other person under pressure in the story, does not react in the same way. So I'm going to be reading the passage, but if you get an opportunity to, and I know some of you are working um, and so you uh, um, um, are driving or <clears throat> um, just doing maybe house uh, work on the house or schoolwork. Um, so you don't have your Bible out in front of you. So, of course, I'll be reading the passage. But if you want to follow along, I turn to Mark chapter 14. And we're going to be looking at verses 66 through 72. Now, the last thing that Peter has said in the Gospel of Mark is earlier in chapter 14 after Jesus predicts Peter's betrayal. And Peter says, in fact, um, in the NIV, the translation, it says that Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And it says that all the others said the same. So all the disciples say, look, no matter what, Jesus, if we die, if it costs us our lives, we will not betray you. And at this point, the other disciples have fled, but Peter has not. He's shown courage. 
Peter has shown a lot of bravery to get to this point. I mean, all the others have fled, and I know we like to beat up on Peter a lot and act like he's just one big failure, but realize how courageous he had to have been to get to this point, to follow Jesus after he had been arrested, to follow Jesus into the courtyard of the high, house of the high priest while Jesus is on trial, while they are trying to pin a charge on Jesus to have Jesus executed, and Peter is there. He's being courageous, but as the pressure ramps up, the depths of his commitment to Jesus become revealed. Now try to put yourself yourselves in Peter's shoes. He's seen Jesus do a lot of amazing things. He's seen Jesus make a lot of amazing claims. He stood shoulder to shoulder, to shoulder with Jesus. As sick people were healed, as demons were cast out, as authoritative, authoritative teachings were given. He stood shoulder to shoulder with Jesus as, again, as I mentioned earlier, as Moses and Elijah appeared and the glory, I mean, the cloud of glory descends and a voice comes from heaven, reinforcing that Jesus is the Son of God. But at this point, Peter has to be scared. He has to have doubts, kind of second-guessing if he was right about Jesus. Because after all, things are not turning out as he thought they would. I talked a lot last week about how um, at this very moment, Jesus doesn't look like the Messiah. He doesn't look like the most powerful person on earth. He doesn't look like the Son of God come on earth to bring the kingdom of God. And you better believe that Peter is scared. He's doubting. But yet he still followed Jesus into the courtyard. And so in verse 66, it says, while Peter was below in the courtyard. So remember that Remember that Peter is there, there's a fire, there's a bunch of people around. Someone as important as the high priest would have had servants, and there would have been guards there. Um, and so um, you just kind of picture a big fire, and it's a, a chilly night, and so a bunch of people are gathered around. And it says, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. So she recognizes Peter, and she calls Jesus that Nazarene. In other words, he's an outsider. He's from Galilee. The people in Galilee, um, they spoke, uh, the, 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 the dialect that they spoke was a little different. They kind of had accents. It's kind of like being from the South. People from other places can hear your accent and know you're from the South. And so it's kind of like saying, well, well, you outsiders, you're one of them. And she recognizes Peter. You might wonder, well, well how does she recognize him? It's not like... He's all over social media or his pictures on the news or in the newspaper. Um, but remember that um, there's been all these crowds surrounding Jesus, teaching in the temple courts over the last few days. And Peter's with Jesus. And so this servant girl might have been one of the people who had heard Jesus speak, or maybe one of the persons who saw Jesus enter into Jerusalem. And so she had seen Peter with him. And so put yourself in Peter's shoes at this moment. How scared would you be? It's not just reputation. It's not like he he's attracted to this girl and he wants her to think highly of him. Right? Peter's not looking for a girlfriend or looking for a wife. He's married. But instead, it's that Peter is scared of being identified with Jesus because Jesus 
is in chains a few feet away on trial for his life. And though Peter had the courage to follow him here, all of a sudden Peter gets recognized. It's almost like Peter kind of anonymously, stealthily is able to follow Jesus, kind of lurking in the shadows while they carry him to the high priest, the high priest's house. And he's here by the fire and he gets recognized and his, his kind of um, heart skips a beat. If he's recognized, maybe he'll be arrested. And if he's arrested, he might be put on trial too. And if they're willing to bring in false witnesses to have Jesus falsely executed, what would stop them from bringing in false witnesses to have Peter executed on false charges? Nothing. And so Peter, the rock, the one who would never leave Jesus even if it cost him his life, he says, I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway. So he denies it. Hey, I, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Now notice it's not an outright denial of Jesus. It's a denial that he knows what she's talking about. So um, at this point, he's, he's kind of able to straddle that line. He's not yet fully denied Jesus, but he's kind of on the border there of denying Jesus. But he's trying to save his life. And so it says he leaves and he goes to the entryway. This is probably the entryway, entryway from the road to the courtyard of the high priest's house. And he goes there. But, but again, and we don't know how much time passes, but the servant girl sees him. It says in verse 69, when the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around. Now notice, right? She says it again, but in this case, it's not to Peter it's to all the people that's surrounding him. She says, this fellow is one of them. So again, your heart, if you're Peter, your heart has to skip a beat. Because now it's not just this girl who walks past you, who just kind of quietly says, hey, aren't you, aren't you with Jesus? But now she's saying to the whole crowd, hey, I, I know it. This guy is a part of Jesus's group. I've seen him. And so you have to be nervous that what if this crowd turns on you? What if they arrest you? What if they create such a commotion that the guards come out and arrest you? But again, Peter denies it. And after a little while, so again, you picture some more time is passing. And remember, I said last week that they're bringing in false witnesses oh, again and again and again to falsely accuse Jesus. And so you, got, you have to imagine that um, the, 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 the trial of Jesus before the Sanhedrin would take place over many hours as they wait for these witnesses to come in and, and for the, uh, them to listen to, to many of them, um, even though their stories were contradictory. Again, they were trying to hear um, some kind of charge that they could take before the Roman authorities. So that's going to take many hours. And so Peter's out there for hours. And so this girl comes by. She says, hey, aren't you with Jesus? He says, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. He steps further away from the fire. And then a little while later, she's like, wait, I know it. You, this guy, and she's talking to the crowd. This guy's with Jesus. And so again, Peter's frightened. He denies it. But it says, again, after a little while, so maybe 10 minutes later, maybe an hour later, maybe Peter thinks he's kind of slid under the radar and his, his kind of adrenaline is starting to subside. His heartbeat's starting to slow down. He's starting to relax and think, you know what? You, everything's okay. You're, you're, uh, they're not going to really do anything to you. Uh, but she comes back again and she says to those stand, or I'm sorry, not the girl, but the people standing nearby, 
um, they kind of turn and they look at Peter and it says that they say, surely you are one of them for you are a Galilean. In other words, um, you're, you're a Galilean. Again, maybe that's because of, um, of, of his accent or how he spoke. They're like, you're, you must be with Jesus because you're from Galilee. And so notice Peter's reaction. After three, after the third accusation, he breaks. And he begins to call down curses. And he swore to them. Now, uh, the curses here, and the, the um, um, scholars are kind of a little torn ex about exactly what the curses are. Um, it could be that he's calling down curses on himself, like I'll be cursed if I'm like, you know, um, let, let, you know, kind of we would say if I'm lying, then, then I, uh, uh, may lightning strike me, you know. Um, and uh, but but um, so it could be that he's kind of saying, look, if I'm lying, then a curse be upon me kind of uh, as a way to assure them that he's telling the truth. But some translator, I mean, some scholars think that what he's what he's doing is actually cursing Jesus. He's kind of calling curses upon Jesus to prove that he's not a part of the followers of Jesus. And, he's, and it says he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. So Peter, the rock, the one who moments before, I mean, uh, hours before had said to Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. This man curses Jesus. And denies him. We often don't know who we are until we're under this kind of pressure. And we deceive ourselves, thinking that our faith or our commitment or our willpower or our virtue is stronger than it really is. And instead of beating up on Peter, I want us to realize how similar to Peter we really are. When times are good, when we feel like everything's going our way, we feel strong in the faith. We feel committed to righteousness. We feel committed to the mission of God. But when fear creeps in, when uncertainty creeps in, when doubt creeps in, when our lives or our dreams or our well-being or what we think uh, or our happiness is on the line. Or when an opportunity that we're excited about begins to slip away. That is when we are revealed. That is when our commitment to Christ and obedience and the mission is revealed. We're just like Peter because we make all kind of commitments to ourselves and commitments to God. But we're not as strong as we think we are. And in this story, Peter, again, the rock, is weak. Yes, in some sense, speaking, you know, humanly speaking, he's stronger than the other disciples. He's followed Jesus to the courtyard. But the very thing he said he wasn't going to do, he did. And one of the things to notice about this story is that Peter has opportunities to catch himself, to realize how close he is, is to fully denying Jesus, but he doesn't. Of course, the first time is when the girl comes up to him and he says, I don't know what you're talking about. And the second time um, is, is when the, uh, she says to the crowd that he's with Jesus and he denies it. But it's not yet um, a full denial, right? It's not yet uh, kind of all the way 100%. And even though in, in Mark's story, 
Um, we were not told when the first rooster crow happens. But it's implied in the story because in verse 72, it says immediately, this is after Peter called down curses again, maybe upon himself, maybe upon Jesus, and then said that he doesn't know this man that you're talking about. In other words, he completely denies Jesus. Um, Immediately, it says the rooster crowed the second time. And so at some point in the story, and we're not told when, um, some some, uh, uh, people who copied the scriptures um, had inserted in verse 68 um, that, uh, that it was after the first denial. Um, so maybe that's when it was. But Mark doesn't tell us. But the rooster crows after, say, that first or second denial. It crows the first time and Peter doesn't catch it. I mean, notice how deceived he is about his own strength. That he, he has three opportunities, or he has a couple of opportunities to kind of catch himself on the edge of this kind of full, awful denial of Jesus, and he doesn't catch himself. Again, we are so often deceived about our own strength, about our own holiness, about our own righteousness. And in moments of fear, moments of doubt, moments like we're in now, where our lives or our loved ones' lives are on the line, where jobs are being lost, where future careers are kind of slipping away. Maybe some of you have lost internships, or some of you who are graduating have job interviews that, that have been canceled because of all the economic uncertainty. And it's when we're under this kind of pressure that so often, frankly, our weaknesses are revealed. That our fears, that our, our lack of of trust in God, even in these awful circumstances, that that gets revealed. And Peter, in verse 72, it says, Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Something I didn't realize until I was studying for these thoughts was that this is the last time in the Gospel of Mark that we see Peter. He's mentioned in chapter 16 because a woman at the tomb is told by the angel to go tell Peter. But this is the last time we see him. And the last picture you get of Peter in the Gospel of Mark is this strong, self-confident follower of Jesus, the rock who was broken down, weeping. Because even though he didn't believe he could be brought to a moment where he would deny Jesus three times and on the three times and on the third time curse Jesus and emphatically deny him. Even though he didn't believe he could be brought to those moment that moment. He was. All his self deception, his spiritual arrogance was ripped away. And he could see who he truly was. How many times have you been in that situation? I mean, I've been in that situation dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of times, where my own spiritual confidence, you might say arrogance, was ripped away. And the certainty that I had that I was gifted enough or pure enough, or obedient enough, or disciplined enough to do what God has asked me to do, to live out the mission, 
to be the Christian that I wanted to be. All that was ripped away. And what is left is grief. What is left is brokenness. And it's fitting, again, a few days before our celebration of Easter, that we're at this story. Because before the cross of Christ, in other words, as we stand before the cross of Christ, we are broken. What's needed for us to realize the importance of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, what's needed for us to stand amazed at this display of the love of God and the grace of God as Jesus died for us, is a recognition of our brokenness, our emptiness, the hollowness of our own commitments, the hollowness of our own certainty. You are not as righteous as you think you are. You are not as strong as you think you are. You are not as committed as you think you are. You are not as selfless and pure as you think you are. You might be self-deceived, but the reality is that you're weak. I'm weak. And what we need more than anything else is a recognition of our own weakness. Again, remember that I said at the beginning that in the story we see two men under pressure. One is Peter, and he breaks under that pressure, but the other is Christ. And under pressure, Jesus stays true to his mission. Hours after this, he is going to die for the sins of the world. And the good news for us and the good news for Peter is that we're not left broken and weak. We're not left grieving over the fact that our trust in God isn't as strong as we thought it was. Grieving over the fact that we are fearful and uncertain and anxious during this time. Grieving over our failures to stay pure, to stay obedient, to stay on mission. We're not left in that circum- those circumstances because Jesus dies for us. And the one who under great pressure stayed true to himself is the one who died for those of us who under great pressure break and fail. And so I hope during this Holy Week when we remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus as we celebrate Easter that you spend some time reflecting on all those times when you were left like Peter, broken, grieving, sorrowed, because you realized your true spiritual weakness. You realized that despite the spiritual arrogance, the confidence, the certainty that you had that you would stay on mission, stay pure, stay devoted, that all those things kind of ripped away And you realized your true neediness for God. And that you come this week to appreciate the grace and the mercy we have in Jesus. And to be grateful that he stayed true under pressure. To show grace to us, to those of us who so often break and fail under pressure. I miss you guys. I wish we were all kind of 
in the deeper room face-to-face studying this scripture, and then I was getting to hear from you, your thoughts, your reflections, but this is the best that we have right now. Thank you for listening. Um, again, thank you for being patient with me, uh, uh, kind of learning how to be decent at speaking into a microphone. Um, let me close your prayer. Father God, I am grateful for all that you do for us. I'm grateful for our ministry. I'm grateful for this year. And though things have taken an odd turn and uh, we are distant, we are fearful, um, everything has changed in all of our lives. Father, I'm still grateful for our students and our staff and grateful for the ways that through your spirit you are working in us. Father, I pray for our students that you keep them safe, you keep their families safe, and most importantly, Father, you keep them faithful and help all of us to grow in our faith. And this week, Father, help us as a means of growing in faith to remember all the times that we were left broken because of our failures, because of our betrayals, even when we were confident that we wouldn't fail that we wouldn't betray you. Help us to see our similarities to Peter, not to kind of beat up on ourselves, but instead to see our similarities to Peter so that we can glory in your grace. Father, help this week to be a week of spiritual rest and reflection and help us more than we ever have, Father, to be grateful for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's his name we pray. Amen. Again, love you guys, miss you guys, and I hope you stay safe and well.